the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. That's our super producer, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Max Williams. Woo. I'm Ben Noel. Uh, I think it's fair to say, and we've joked about it before in meetings and stuff, that we are, we, you and me are two guys who are kind of like paid to make noise. Yeah, you can call what we do. It's like organized noise. There we go. We just sort of... Uh expel sounds from our mouths in a certain order as to communicate ideas, a.k.a. talking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're right, Ben. It is noise. Uh, to, to One person's noise is another person's information or music, perhaps. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with the genre of harsh noise. <laughs> it is a genre involving, uh, you know, using mixers and weird noisemakers to just generate, you know, absolute uh, chaos. And um, some people really like it. You know, like eight people that, you know, listen to the tapes that this Italian label puts out. I'm kidding. I'm overgeneralizing. Harsh noise enthusiasts out there, don't pillory me. There's They're some cool powerful lobby. It's just not for me. Yeah. This is <laughs> they really are. The harsh noise lobby. lobby. It's yeah. taking Washington by storm. It's yeah. like the NRA and the harsh noise lobby uh, run in Washington. Well, one thing is funny, as we were preparing for this episode, this stood out to me. The three of us do, you could say, make noise for a living, make mostly word noise for a living, but we're also very particular about the noises that we like on the show. Uh, my yeah. great nemesis <laughs> is a leaf blower. Didn't <laughs> yeah, see that coming. Right? And I, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but have you ever moved into a place that, like, it's a new neighborhood, and all of a sudden you hop on one of those just vicious neighborhood chat forums and there's someone complaining about noise has it ever happened to you yeah i don't i stay, try to stay away from those because they're usually a bummer but i will say um my neighbor takes an ungodly amount of time to mow his lawn <laughs> i just don't understand it feels like it takes like half of the day and it's just you know and he's right there and it's quite a loud lawnmower and yeah it does bug me i think you know specifically droning repetitive noises or something that can genuinely cause like mental duress. Um, you live a little closer to like an urban center than me. You're often having to pause for ambulances and sirens and things like that. Our, our super producer, Paul, Mission Control Deccan from Stuff They Don't Want You To Know, lives in New York City. And oftentimes before we even get started, we're hearing like crazy, crazy sounds coming from his end of the of the uh, of the Zoom I'm a little bit more protected, but this neighbor with his lawnmower, it's crazy. These are all things that uh, the subject of today's podcast, Julia Barnett Rice, would have had a real problem with. 
but she lived before the uh, advent of things like gas-powered lawnmowers and leaf blowers. She was really more concerned with, like, what was it, Ben? Tugboats? And the little toot-toots that tugboats make and, you know, street buskers and all kinds of the riffraff, you know, in in New York City um, that uh, disturbed her solitude, which she felt that she so greatly deserved. The subject of today's episode is the idea of Julia Barnett Rice launching an elitist war on noise. What does that entail, Ben? How does one launch a war on noise? Yeah. Is it like the war on drugs? Seems like one you can't win. Well, it depends. It depends on how you want to wage this war. And her campaign, uh, her campaign took a little bit of an elitist approach. It's true. Mrs. Rice, or Dr. Rice, I should say, because she was a physician, When she founded something called the Society for Suppression of Unnecessary Noise in 1906, she called noise the, quote, chief torment of illness. And as we'll see in today's episode, she gathered a cavalcade of very well-known influential figures, including like Mark Twain and Thomas Edison, along with hundreds of others, to wage what they wanted uh, to become an international campaign for quote, dinless cities. So uh, I love the word din. Yeah. So cities that somehow, despite the precedent set by all other human cities throughout all moments of civilization, these cities would somehow be quiet. And if you look at it, it's part of an old, old belief. Like people are not the most tolerant organisms, right? We stink at group work. We have our own priorities that we often put over the greater good. And as long as you've seen people living in close quarters, you've also seen people who are um, tremendously upset about the noise that their neighbors make. So the problems you and I, and, and probably Max too, have had just in the course of this show over the pandemic are actually age age old problems and it's amazing how much writing there is about this like throughout the historical record yeah in the 1660s uh a french philosopher named blaise pascal um had this to say uh he said uh quote the sole cause of man's unhappiness is that he does not know how to stay quietly in his room (laughs) That's interesting. I I would argue that is not a comment on noise per se and more just about occupying one's own time uh, properly and then being able to enjoy one's own company. I don't really think he was necessarily negging noise uh, exactly in that statement, but it is an interesting one. Um, There's more, of course, though, right, Ben? Yeah, yeah. So Pascal, great thinker. Was he seriously proposing that everybody go in time out? to solve the world's problems. Yeah. <laughs> Go to your room. Go to your room, everyone. But yeah, you're right. Because so back in the days, you know, when the majority of people did not live in cities and much of the world was uh, built on agrarian communities, we know that noise was often a problem that was just attributed to people living in big uh, metropolitan areas like London or Paris. But then when the Industrial Revolution came, more and more people moved to cities. They wanted to work in these new, exciting industries. Train whistles were filling the air. There were factory furnaces roaring. You would go to, down the street and hear people yelling at each other in a panoply of languages, talking over each other. It was like the worst party ever because it's a party you had to live at. Uh, there's another hey. German philosopher named Arthur Schopenhauer who called this, quote, torture for intellectual people. And he said, look, if you're a thoughtful person, you need a quiet space so that you can do quality work. Schopenhauer was a lot of things, including an intellectual elitist of the highest order. From his point of view, only stupid people like noise, not super nuanced. Yeah, he was obviously not a not a fan of harsh noise, um, of the harsh noise genre. Yeah, but, you know, my, my whole thing is like, okay, but like, you're not, entitled to live in a city, right? Like, go live in the in the countryside if it's such a problem, especially if you're wealthy, like Julia Barnett Rice. But we'll get to that. I just feel like there's a lot of entitlement going on here. Oh, yeah. Because the nature of a city is people swarm there. There's hustle and bustle. There's industrialization. It's like, what, what are you going to, like, just completely stem the flow of, of progress just so you can, like, 
you know, write your journals or whatever, or like your poetry. Like, uh, it doesn't seem quite right. Anywho, so you're right. Uh, <laughs> Schopenhauer was kind of a jerk. Definitely uh, elitist, uh, intellectual elitist of the highest order, like you said. Um, we've got some contemplations from, say, like uh, Charles Dickens, for example. He described uh, feeling, quote, harassed, worried, wearied, driven nearly mad by street musicians in London. And the uh, the Times of London in 1856 had a similar critique of the uh, of this, uh, these uh, these buskers, saying that they created a noisy, dizzy, scatterbrained atmosphere. And this is a, a lot of all of this stuff that we're pulling from early on here is from a really great article in the Smithsonian called "Why Are We Always Searching for a Quiet Place." Perhaps the real monster is not noise, they say, uh, but instead our own intolerance of unwanted sound um, mm -hmm. by Matthew Jordan uh, of The Conversation. Yeah, and we know this was, at the very least, a transatlantic problem by the time Dr. Rice comes on the scene. In 1905, the New York Times was writing about this. There's a, there's a wonderful little article you can see from this time where they talk about the problem of noise in New York, which they summarize as a, quote, bonfire of sound. And they say the culprits are trolley cool. cars, boiler making, elevated roads, subway trains, harbor sirens and various steam whistles, riveting machines, trucks laden with slabs of iron and rails of steel, milk wagons banging over the pavements in the small morning hours, deep breath, hand organs, photographs with megaphone oh. attachment, fish horns, knife grinding serenades, yelling junkmen, hunksters and peddlers with cowbell distractions, cracked bells ringing day and night in churches and chapels. I had to do a Natalie and Bruglia pause to get a deep breath yeah, reading man. that one. Oh, dude, those, uh, those hand organs and photographs with megaphone attachment, those are really the bane of urban existence. You know, and, and it's not to say that living in a city and like commuting and just like the drone of the subway in New York, for example, just all of these sounds don't get to you. I choose not to live in a city like New York. I choose to live in a place where I can kind of control my environment. I love going to New York. I love traveling to places that are exciting and bustling like this. But after about a week or so, I it, it gets to me too. And I need to hightail it back home to my, you know, little uh, humble, uh, quiet abode. But all of these sounds, you know, that people are regularly exposed to in these large cities, they can actually cause uh, hearing damage over time. There's no question about that. Sure. Uh, any noise that's above 85 decibels from things like that I just described, all of that stuff, industrial manufacturing, airports, traffic, subway, you know, hand organs, yeah. phonographs with megaphone attachments, sirens, yes, exactly. Milk wagons. <laughs> so Mil oh, those milk wagons uh, cluckety-clacking across those cobblestone streets. Um, these absolutely can cause hearing loss over time if you don't uh, take care of it. Uh, and, and you'll notice that walking around New York, most people have their little noise-canceling earbuds in for good reason, because that stuff is really uh, monotonous and can absolutely not only cause hearing loss, but cause you, know, you to kind of lose your marbles a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Studies show that the average life of an urban resident will contain a background noise level of about 60 decibels, which is just below what, what we described as being uh, as leading to hearing loss. But 60 decibels on its own, according to the Atlantic, is loud enough to raise your blood pressure, your heart rate. It can cause stress. You'll have a hard time concentrating. You can even lose sleep. I want to shout out Kate Wagner's Atlantic article, great title, City Noise Might Be Making You Sick. It's a true story. And sirens, especially, the reason I want to highlight those is because they can hit 120 decibels. And that is the human pain threshold, according to the World Health Organization. So say, we're going to introduce you to Rice right now and say what you will about her. We've already made some of our opinions known. Uh, it's important to realize that she is not making this problem up. In fact, she is one of the earliest urban anti-noise campaigners. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. 
With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know. I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I meant I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it so uh the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. She grew up wealthy. She was well-educated. Her partner, her husband, was a known businessman and publisher. I love saying known businessman. That makes it sound yeah, like he did something yeah. terrible. He's a known businessman. But, <laughs> and philanderer. And philanderer yeah, as well. It. Although it's entirely likely. Who knows? So Rice, Rice lived in Manhattan. She was in a mansion. Great view of the Hudson River. And she got mad. Like you said at the top, Noel, she became livid by the regular passage of tugboats. They would blow their horns, in her mind, incessantly up and down the Hudson. Uh, she would hear a tug emit not two or three hundred, but two or three thousand toots. And these were, in her mind, unnecessary. Now, if you're familiar with how uh, tugboats 
navigated at this time. Due to weather conditions, you would need to use the horn so that people would be aware of your presence, right? So it's a safety thing. But she said, these yeah. guys are just saying hi to each other. <laughs> I just kept saying hello. Yeah, again, she's already starting off on like a foundation of kind of elitist uh, ignorance, blissful ignorance, I would argue. Because, yeah, this is a system, you know? Like it's it's a, I don't know, it's, it's probably specific to, you know, freight in, in that kind of scenario when close quarters like that. But we know that nautical systems of communication have existed for hundreds of years, you know, in terms of being able to communicate with other vessels uh, near or far. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is probably a way to keep things from becoming dangerous in these closer quarters when they're passing through the Hudson, um, which is not a like super narrow body of water, but it's not like the open sea. And there's a lot of tugboat traffic in there, you know. Nowadays, it would be more like barges, you know, freight carrying big old barges. And it's true. It's noisy. I mean, I was just in uh, my hometown of Augusta visiting my mom, and they, there's like a railroad crossing right in the middle of town, right by a hospital. Um, and I was walking from my car, and the thing just, just blasting through, just honking, laying on that horn. And I'm just like, maybe I'm not in the best mood in the first place, but I say out loud to myself, really? Really? You yeah. really need to do that for this long? And I get it. They need to announce their presence so people don't accidentally get pancaked by the train if they're like parked, you know, or they're not like paying attention to the railroad crossing. But it does come a point where it's like, did you need to lay onto it for five whole minutes? I'll tell you another thing that makes it very disconcerting at this time. So now the majority of people across the planet live in densely populated urban areas, right? Right. And it's unusual maybe for us in 2022 to realize that was not always the norm. And I can speak from personal experience for a time when I was living in Central America, I was in middle of nowhere places where I would go days without hearing a machine other than maybe the distant hum of an airplane. And then when I went back to civilization, I was like, dumbfounded. It's it's like how if you don't eat salt for a while and then you eat fast food, you're like, what the heck? Where did all this salt come from? The noises astonished me. So it's a real thing. But yes, is she the best casting to have a complaint about this? I don't know, uh, because she's never quarreled with other problems of the human condition, like the need for shelter, clean water or food. So picture her. She's up in her Italian style, quite opulent mansion. And she says, and she's smart, too. She's quite intelligent. So she says, look, if I, as a lady of means, complain to the great unwashed about the problem I have with noise, I may become a public enemy. I need a cause to rally around. I don't know why I made her sound so evil. That's probably unfair. But she says, there are all these hospitals in the city, and many of the people in the hospitals are poor and sick. So why don't we stick up for them. We won't tell people that I'm mainly mad about my mansion. I will tell people that I'm trying to help the poor. That's pronounced P-E-W-E-R. <laughs> okay, then I mean, I, 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 I think I get what you're putting down here and I think I'm on the same page. You feel like she was using this philanthropic angle as a bit of a subterfuge oh, yeah. when all she really wanted was to quiet down the noise around her opulent palatial estate. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. And her uh, her husband, remember, publisher, Mr. Rice, partners with her. And in 1906, he publishes a piece that she has written, An Effort to Suppress Noise. And she starts by quoting Schopenhauer, who we mentioned earlier, another fellow elitist, saying, there are people, it is true, nay, a great many people who smile at such sounds because they are not sensitive to noise, but they are just the very people who are also not sensitive to argument or thought or poetry or art. Any word, in a word, Ew. to any kind of intellectual influence. Gross. Ew. What? <laughs> I, wow. I what a reductive I way know. of looking at things. That's absurd. That's ignorant. I'm sorry. That's just ridiculous. She put so, it out. Who are those people you think she she's talking it, yeah. about? 
uh, poor people. She's talking about poor people. I mean, that that's just who she's, or, or, you know, people who are like subhuman in some way. I mean, she's describing like these poor boorish oafs who can't enjoy, you know, florid poetry and, and, uh, and, and beautiful chamber music. Instead, they just get their rocks off listening to the sounds of anvils or something. You know, it's like, ugh, it's weird. And again, when I say she is, specifically describing uh, blue-collar workers, specifically, again, the tugboat workers, yes. who are, you know, the longshoremen of, of the era, essentially, right? And the piece goes on to further elaborate her uh, efforts to ban this whistling, you know, these this tugboat toots or whatever, and uh, Rice kind of casts herself as this, like, crusader of of uh, of quietude this um you know like what do you like uh, some sort of like winged avenger of of order and uh, and solitude and uh, enemy of chaos and cacophony yeah yeah and so she had an order of operations first as is a pattern for many well-to-do very wealthy people she goes through the legal system she says okay I'm going to go to the New York City Collector's Office Law Division. And I found a clause in in their policies that say they can punish any licensed tugboat officer specifically that they adjudge to be uh, conducting negligence or unskillfulness or to be guilty of misconduct. So she said, let me tell you guys this, those tugboat horns those count as professional misconduct. The U.S. local steamboat inspectors weighed in and basically said, nah, son. So no dice with that one. Uh, so she goes to the cops and she says, I want to start a petition. We'll get, we'll get poor and rich people alike to sign off on this and say the noise is out of control. It's a problem, but we're going to uh, send VIPs, movers and shakers, uh, early 1900s New York versions of Instagram influencers to get these, to get these signatures, wealthy, high muckety mucks at hospitals, et cetera, you name it, important people. But the inspectors are still saying, "Mm, nah, son. Nah, son, indeed. She's like a combination of like the original or the proto Karen. And I know, sorry for all the people who actually are named Karen, who are lovely people. I know that term has been kind of uh, co-opted. And for that, I am sorry, but it, it is what it is. Um, and also like, she's kind of like Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino. She's very get off my lawn. And no, it's weird. So what happens next? She starts to get a little traction, doesn't she? At first, she's kind of somewhat shrugged off or her complaints fall on deaf ears. Um, but then she gets a bit of a win, right? Well, she does. First, she um, she does, to her credit, interview some of the actual tugboat workers, the people she's vilifying in the press. And they come back to her and they say, look, we're not doing this for funsies. If we couldn't use our, if we couldn't use our sonic equipment, we'd have to have an extra employee just to act as a messenger. And then we'd still lose a lot of time. And then we wouldn't be able to communicate with the people on the barge. We have to whistle to wake up the crew. And you can't expect, like Dr. Rice, you can't expect people to legitimately stay up all day and all night just on the off chance someone waves at them. Our system works. And this is where she gets her win. She says, fine, whatever. She goes to academics in various maritime disciplines and also to even more higher ups. And they endorse her and they start researching her claim that sound is bad. Finally, the National Board of Steam Navigation passes this resolution. It's pretty simple. It just prohibits unnecessary whistle blowing. The tugboat workers follow these rules for maybe two days, and then they find it's impossible to do their jobs. Also, this National Board of Steam Navigation has no realistic way of enforcing this because you can't stop all the horns. So, yeah, or identify which individual that came from. Once you kind of become part of like this giant body of noise, it's very, very difficult to uh, isolate which, uh, which, which, which tugboat was tooting at what particular moment. Mm -hmm. I love that word, by the way. Just, it just gives me a little giggle every time. It makes you think of the beam song. Yeah, I love it. That one slaps. Boy, does it ever. But 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 here's the thing. Again, totally misinformed in the first place because Rice was like, this is 
unnecessary noise. Well, says you, but what about the tugboat workers, you know, who don't want to have a collision, you know, or need to be able to communicate something to uh, one of their, you know, cohorts? Uh, they would argue this noise is absolutely necessary. Yeah, absolutely. That, And they were arguing it was totally necessary. And so Rice tries to step it back a little and she puts out a law. Oh, wait, by the way, here comes the uh, leaf blower. I don't know if you guys can hear it, but Max, let's leave it in. Uh, this is illustrative of the point. Here's our guy. Yeah. So, <laughs> so she says, okay, I'm going to try to use a little bit of nuance. She wants a law passed that restricts all but a few scenarios that allow tugboats to use their whistles or their horns. And she goes to the Department of Commerce and Labor and she says, I want, I want a toot cop, basically. I want someone patrolling the waterways to make sure these ruffians aren't using their horns. And everyone said, no way, that's not going to happen. So she goes to one last ditch effort and this is where she finds success. There's an outfit called the American Association of Masters, Mates, and Pilots. They had a meeting of about 10,000 people, huge crowd, and she gets them to pass a resolution ending the, quote, use of indiscriminate and above all noisy signaling. This gets replicated at the federal level under something called the 1907 Bennett Act, which is the very first anti-noise bill ever ratified by Congress. And you would think maybe they agreed because she had put this patina of uh, the poor and the sick over her real goal here, but not really. Instead, they found that signaling was actually hurting tugboat navigation, and it was making it confusing for the same reason we mentioned earlier. It was making it confusing to enter and exit the harbor at night. It was making it unsafe because, again, you can have a hard time telling which boat is tooting when. She also was super antagonistic to the tugboat workers because she was already starting off on a pretty, pretty irritated, you know? So she saw those guys as like personal nemeses, personal enemies, instead of folks she could collaborate with. Uh, she thought the Mariners had knowingly, deviously stolen her peace of mind. So that's why, that's why when we look back, she seems kind of elitist and belligerent, but she also set a precedent. Other campaigns in other cities started springing up. So this is kind of that win that I was alluding to, and Rice is riding high off of this. She organizes um, this society that we talked about uh, and starts to, you know, gather supporters, and she needs, Ben, a, a figurehead, you know, because at this point, yeah, she's definitely the loudest voice in the quiet room, huh. uh, but she needs someone that's famous to um, carry this torch with her, at the very least in, in name and reputation, if not actively, you know, being involved in the day-to-day -day of the organization. And she finds this in uh, Mark Twain, just really interesting considering his background as like a steamboat captain or a steamboat worker. Why, why is he on board with this cause? I don't understand. You think he would relate more to the, the tugboat workers than to, to this, uh, this woman complaining about noise. Yeah. How did he get from someone who worked in that industry to a guy who said, I'll help you tell kids to be quiet when they're walking or near hospitals. Uh, he wrote... <laughs> He wrote an acceptance letter to her. Here's an excerpt. I have an abundance of sympathy for this movement. If I were younger, I would like to work for it. Now, I thank you for the compliment you pay me and shall be happy to have my name used as president of the Children's Hospital Branch. Sincerely yours, Mark Twain. So these kids would get swag if they agreed to this anti-noise pledge. They would get buttons, and the buttons would... Uh, were meant to remind kids to be quiet around hospitals. They're in black and white, and at the center, you can see the word, the word is just humanity. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. 
you name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So this is... This is a kind of a weird thing. We also want to introduce an historian, Emily Thompson, who had a book come out called The Soundscape of Modernity, uh, in which she talks about how there was a lot of classism in these laws. Yeah, I think this has been the axe we've been grinding this whole time, and, and it feels pretty obvious, but um, she lays it out in The Soundscape of Modernity and um, refers to the idea that these noise, these anti-noise laws were essentially targeting the people that uh, that Rice claimed to want to protect, the uh, relatively powerless uh, folks who were seen as some sort of, I don't know, some sort of blight on the placid, you know, middle and upper class kind of vision of a, of a well-ordered city. Uh, that quote right there is actually directly from the, the soundscape of modernity. I like that. Uh, this idea that they were somehow standing in the way of this American dream, right? There was the 1908 General Order 47 that New York City Police Commissioner Thomas Bingham issued. 
that targeted the general idea of street ruckus, uh, much more than port noise, which has thus far been kind of what we've been talking about. The idea of, like, you know, newsboys uh, and street vendors and all of that, people on roller skates, buskers, car horns and the like, uh, flat-wheeled streetcars. The law even went on to ban uh, noises, like, that resulted from people's jobs, like construction work, for example. And these kinds of laws started popping up all over the country in places like Boston and Arkansas, even San Francisco. And yeah, exactly. These laws were targeting folks who were working outdoors, you know, like who Mm -hmm. were trying to eke out a living in a very, you know, dog eat dog situation in a lot of these urban centers. Yeah, people who had to work in the street. And often these people were immigrants. Uh, They didn't have a lot of agency in the legal system. Uh, Their rights were routinely stamped upon, you know, due in part to racism, due in part to classism. You name it, bad things happened to them. There were even laws that that got pretty discriminatory. Like peddlers in Chicago for a time could only be in certain parts of the city and they could not shout as a way of advertising. So no more extra, extra, get your paper here kind of things. Uh, The courts upheld this law in 1911 and the peddlers went on strike. Then they rioted and just wrecked part of the city. The police broke the strike violently, as they did back in the day, and soon there were no more vendors on the streets. More and more laws passed as the decades went on, more and more noise laws. And eventually, this paved the way... I'm sorry, for uh, cars, because... Yeah, no, no apologies, Max. Because cars were now the... um, kind of the dominant species of the ecosystem of the American street. Uh, And they, of course, create their own noise. So Rice didn't really solve the problem so much as she set up the stage for a different kind of noise. And this is, um, every time we talk about this, the rise of cars, I want to do a history of jaywalking one day. It's some of the most successful propaganda ever. I think I may have done it on car stuff. Anyway, just listen to that episode. It's a great story. Well, well, I don't remember where we did it. Um, we've definitely discussed the idea of jaywalking was meant to basically reduce the idea of like a pedestrian situation because it was yes. like in favor. It was like, you know, roads are now for cars, not for people. So jaywalking was, again, kind of this like weird law that allowed cops to harass people for walking. Exactly. Less. It was vilifying the pedestrian 100%. But cars also may have brought the first serious blow to Rice's anti-noise movement because the automobile was unstoppable. It made a lot of noise. It drowned out protests on either side. It's funny, too, because there's a bit of irony in the history here. You know, one of the people who may have driven the first motor car in Manhattan was Isaac Rice, Julia's husband, And he loved racing his, again, noisy machine through Central Park. And the the problem was, like, I don't know. I think this was an impossible task from the get-go, even if the motivations weren't as selfish as it appears they actually are. But the big, big problem, New Republic has a great article about this, the big, big problem with fighting unnecessary or loud noise is that the people who are making the noise don't think it's unnecessary. It all depends from your perspective. The guy wants to sell the papers. Someone wants to take a joyride. Someone doesn't want their tugboat to wreck. That seems like three very necessary things. A million percent. I mean, especially the like things that involve safety for the workers and those around them. Maybe the newsies could, you know, keep their voices down a little bit. Listen, waving the thing in the air enough, you really have to shout. Again, (laughs) here I am playing the part of the curmudgeonly city dweller that's just tired of all this stuff. But it is necessary, and it is the price you pay of living in a city where there's, like, a lot going on. Uh, So, again, I would argue that a lot of these, like, you know, naysayers should probably just move into the country. They can afford it. Get get a country house. You know, get, get a place in the Hamptons or whatever. I mean, 
this is just what comes along with living in a place where you're literally everyone's stacked on top of each other. You know, I mean, there's really no way around it. This idea of what was the word they used, Ben? The dinless city. Yes. That's, that's, that's imaginary. It's <laughs> <is> not possible. <laughs> yeah. It's very, it's very true, Noel. And we know that other people have tried similar things in the decades since. Uh, anti noise organizations became a planetary thing. And after World War I, the war against noise hit a new fever pitch. Uh, people were targeting things like the automobile horn in Paris and London and Chicago. It was banned in the 1920s. In the 1930s, there was a noiseless nights campaign in New York uh, where they would station these noise measuring devices across the city. And then New York passed law, multiple laws, like dozens of laws over the next, uh, the, like the next few decades to try to shut down really loud noises. And by the 1970s, governments, not just Uncle Sam, but world governments were treating noise as environmental pollution, which it really is. I mean, to be fair, Rice may not have had the most noble of motivations, but she was on to something because you know, you and I just pointed out earlier, the science is there. That noise can do lasting harm to people exposed to it. Isn't it funny, though, that Rice's husband, once he got his hands on a sweet ride, he was like totally over the whole anti-noise thing. He's like, hey, do what I say, not as I do. Exactly. Right? Exactly. It's like if people knew how cool this was, everybody would do it. You know, that's where. He, yeah. Very much so. Yeah, but it's not for you, pores. You know, it's just for me in, in, in my joy rides around the city with my leather driving gloves. You're, you're right, Ben, though. I mean, there is some merit to this stuff. And again, it is, thankfully, nowadays, you know, you can get these very, very effective noise-canceling headphones or earbuds that use technology to filter out a lot of frequencies. Uh, and it's actually, I was just in, we were just in Austin together, and uh, I was wearing those while walking around, or I think we were in a, in a barcade, and I was just listening to some uh, podcast stuff for work. And when I walked outside, I took them out and it's like, it's just like the world opens up and it's very jarring. And just as I did it, this like line of Hare Krishna dudes playing like the most jarring, jangly tambourines and pots and pan banging kind of sounds I'd ever heard passed right by me. And I almost bowled me over because I went from this controlled kind of, you know, measured quiet to just the world was on fire with noise. Mm -hmm. So I get it. It can be jarring. But again, nowadays, it's a lot easier to filter that out. And I think it's probably the saving grace of a lot of people that live in super noisy places like New York and London uh, is, is this noise canceling technology. Yeah. And that's like, that's why I go back to that Central America example, because I get it. I was, I was astounded. Like I could not hang out for a while. I had to get to a quiet place and like gradually introduce myself to city life again, the way that a mm -hmm. deep sea diver has to gradually reach the surface to avoid the bends. And really, you know, another important point about this is targeting the noise of individual people, like Wagner points out in her Atlantic article, doesn't really do much. It doesn't address the real problem. The real problem is environmental noise, transportation, industrial activity. That's the kind of stuff that can really cause lasting harm. That's what has to be targeted if someone wants these campaigns to be successful. And I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I'm very biased with this because I don't know if you guys know this, but I have a misophonia, which means that certain, certain noises just drive me up the wall, through the ceiling, out of town, and into orbit. Uh, mouth noises in particular, snoring, eating, you know, chewing loudly, that kind of stuff. So I also am really well aware that not everybody likes every noise. It's just when you get to the idea of policing other people's individual behavior, you have to ask yourself if you're really solving a problem. And I'm starting to wonder if Rice herself may have had misophonia just because of the way she targeted tugboats in particular. 
Absolutely. And you also have to decide how far are you willing to go? Because, you know, once you open up this kind of thinking and, and, and these types of laws, it's like, we're not going to rest until we live in a completely noise protected world. And that's just not possible. So at the beginning, I, I said, is the, is the war on noise like the war on drugs and that it's unwinnable? I would argue, yes, noise is part of life. <laughs> You really can't get rid of it entirely. And I think you're totally right, Ben. This is one person's crusade uh, because of a personal vendetta uh, that then kind of became um, falsely, I would argue, wrapped up in some greater good argument. But I think you're right, Ben. I think it all came down to she was just annoyed by the thing and therefore wasn't going to rest until, you know, she solved the problem for her. And with that... This episode of Ridiculous History Noise draws to a close. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Big, big thanks to that leaf blower out there who is just trying to do his job. Big, big thanks to Mr. Max Williams, our super producer. And uh, big thanks in advance, by the way, breaking news to some guests we're going to have on in the near future. Brand new guest from a brand new show that just came out. Yeah, Bill and Mark from Ridiculous News, good friends of ours. The show is fantastic. You don't have to take our word for it. Just tune in next week. You're going to hear all about it with those guys. Yep, going to have a solid hang. Very much looking forward to it. Uh, In the meantime, if you wish to find us on the internet, you may do so by joining our Facebook group, Ridiculous Historians. You can also find us on Instagram, where we're Ridiculous History, or you can find us as individual human people on the internet. I'm on Instagram pretty much exclusively at Brown. Ben Bolin, how about yourself? Yes, yes, you can get a behind-the-scenes sneak peek at the various things I'm working on, my various misadventures, by going to Twitter, where I'm at Ben Bolin, H-S-W, or you can find me on Instagram, at Ben Bolin, B-O-W-L-I-N. Had to remember how to spell my last name there. Example of the Twitter thing recently, uh, Max, you saw this. Uh, I just started writing a list of bands for people who want to sleep in. Bands like Rage Against a Coffee Machine, System of a Down Blanket, and of course, Green Daybed. So, Max, (laughs) I know, the list kept going. I should be doing my job. But, Max, you're uh, you're on Twitter as well, aren't you? Are the rumors true? Yes, I was on Twitter reading that, and I literally was looking at it. I'm like, isn't Ben? I I know what Ben's supposed to be doing right now, and he's tweeting (laughs) this instead. But, yes, you can find me on Twitter at, at ATL underscore Max Williams. You can see stuff about, you know, shows I'm working on, you know, both here and for Ephemeral. And if you're ever interested in a good, you know, episode about some uh, silence and stuff, or at least humans ever wanting quest for it, we have an episode called The Sounds of Silence from Season 1 of Ephemeral. It is an excellent little checkout of like, kind of on this topic right here. Fantastic. Fantastic. Maybe we end on a slightly positive note, because I was going to say, ask people what their worst sounds are. But Noel, how about we do this? What are some of your favorite sounds, folks? Can't wait to hear from you. Let us know. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday.